everyone, welcome back to another episode of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations for Modern Life. Firstly, I would just like to say thank you again for all the messages that I do receive um, thanking me for the show and let me know how it's obviously like uh, positively impacting your life, especially to those who are taking advantage of the new feature that I mentioned on Spotify, where you can leave little comments on the episodes as well, um, which is, you know, just never, never a great way for you guys to reach out, I guess. But then also, of course, the more that you do so, I'm presuming those things will be seen, you know, by others, help the show appear, like hiring other people's like listeners and stuff and uh get more more people listening and helping more lives so thank you guys for doing that you're friggin awesome thanks for your support now on with today's episode we're reading from book four and this is passage 21 you may ask how if souls live on the air can accommodate them all from the beginning of time Well, how does the earth accommodate all these bodies buried in it over the same eternity? Just as here on earth, once bodies have kept their residence for whatever time, their change and decomposition makes room for other bodies. So it is with souls migrated to the air. They continue for a time, then change, dissolve and take fire as they are assumed into the generative principle of the whole. In this way they make room for successive residents. Such would be one's answer on the assumption that souls do live on. We should consider though, not only the multitude of bodies thus buried, but also the number of animals eaten every day by us and other creatures, a huge quantity consumed, and in a sense buried in the bodies of those who feed on them. And yet there is room for them, because they are reduced to blood and changed into the elements of air and fire. How to investigate the truth of this? By distinguishing the material and the causal. Okay, guys, so first thing on this one is to put in the context of the time. Because I would sit my neck out and kind of say Marcus would perhaps not be writing this passage in the same way. Um, I'm not really sticking my neck out. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be writing this in the same way if he were alive today. We've got to remember here, not only was um, this wrote a time that was, what, 1,700 years before... Darwin and his theory of evolution, let alone before that was generally accepted, you know, so we are talking a very, very different time and understanding of science. And then also even like talking on elements. Remember, there was a time where um, we believe that everything was made of earth, fire and water, right? Those were the elements. We didn't have like atomic physics and understanding of the atom and um, chemical elements and what have you. So, those sort of terms that Marcus refers to, you know, being transported back into the air, into fire, is effectively principle of substance, right? So it would still apply the merit of the passage in that context, but like that you would change, of course, back into the elements, back into, you know, oxygen, hydrogen, or what have you, you know, if our bodies die, they will get taken up by the earth. And those, those elements, the energy there, the matter is going to remain, but it's going to change form. So remember, obviously, another thing we understand now with science is that energy does not disappear, right? It can only change form. Um, now, just to give an easier way to explain that, consider that everything around us, your body, my body, 
everything came from the same origins, right? From the start of the universe. Um, those elements, atoms were created. And that, that energy that was there at the start is still what we, we are today. Okay. Um, energy stored in the form of matter. Now, when, you know, obviously if we, if we die, those bodies do get recycled in the sense that the energy that they consume is still there. We'll get broken down, decomposed into the elements. Um, and many of those elements will then sort of be reused in another way. Um, you know, Marcus obviously talks on animals feeding on each other. And then what of the soul? So again, we are talking from a time where there was no understanding of where humans came from. Okay, so we are talking, you know, we aren't just talking just before Darwin's theory of evolution. We're talking 1,700 years before. Okay, so, you know, we, it's a very, very different landscape. And, you know, questions of where humans came from, what happens when we die, you know, we're obviously very, very big at the time. But me saying this is not to take away like the spiritual element of this. Because I would beg any of you to differ um, from me when I say that Marcus's soul still lives on. And I think that's the way to look at this in the context of the modern life, right? How can that soul live on? So we talked, you know, we understand now that everything that we're sort of made of does live on, right? Changes form and what have you. That kind of means that part of you will still be here long, well, in a, in a way, you'll still be here long after you're dead, right? Okay, those elements won't contain that living, breathing, or, or make up a living, breathing organism that has a soul. But those elements will still be there, okay? Those elements that are still there have still been part of you. It's interesting when you think about that, isn't it? But let's go back to the soul. And in fact, one thing that I will use to help this explanation along as well is something a friend of mine mentioned recently. Um, he practices something um, called quantum regression therapy. And it's, you know, relating to some of the fears and stuff that we may hold in our subconscious, that may hold us back, that we're not necessarily aware of. And, you know, one of the um, examples that, that he, he uses, which was you know, a pretty, pretty good one, easy to understand, is that, you know, many... Okay, most of us probably see one in the zoo when we're a kid, right? But many of us probably haven't ever encountered a lion, right? But we still have a fear of lions, right? If you're walking through, you may have never seen a lion, but if you're suddenly dropped in the savannah um, in Kenya or what have you, you're, pro you're probably going to have a fear of, like, you know, encountering a lion or some other form of dangerous animal, right? Even though you may never have actually encountered those animals before. So you may actually have, obviously we've got TV and stuff, but perhaps the only way that you know those animals are to be feared is from what you've, you've heard about them growing up, right? Yeah, through education, be it at school, again, mention TV and what have you. Those things is still this fear of lions into us without us actually having the need to encounter one. And as obvious as that seems, that gets passed on, doesn't it, through generations? Now, I know it's sort of Plato as well, before Marcus, who talked about, and the, you know, the question of what happens to the soul when we die, whether the soul lives on, whether it's reborn in someone else and what have you. Well, I think in this day and age, perhaps both Plato and Marcus as well, would probably look at it in this way. Don't tell me Plato's soul does not live on. How would I know the name? Why am I talking about it? Why do we know of Plato? Why do we know of Marcus Aurelius? And it's amazing to me that he writes this passage 
and 1,800, more than that, you know, nearly 1,900 now, years later. I'm here talking, well, 1,800 years later, I'm here talking about this, right? Is that not amazing? His, the amount of Marcus Aurelius sort of quotes and memes that pop up on social media. Um, and even if not every person you encounter knows who Marcus Aurelius is, they would, they would know when you sort of refer to the old emperor in Gladiator, right? The film. <laughs> um, and to, to be honest, most people do know of Marcus Aurelius, at least who, you know, who he is now, even if they don't know much about him. They'll at least like encounter these quotes and what have you. Everyone knows the name Plato, even if they probably couldn't, haven't even read anything of Plato's. Look at then how the philosophical ideas get developed upon. Um, since their time, you know, again, you can go Marcus talking on Plato, um, Epictetus, but then you can go um, skip forward like the 1,000 years or so and you go through Hume, Kant, um, you know, Leibniz and what have you. And, and these people are developing on ideas from previous philosophers. Their study was from the philosophers that had come before them. And, you know, we get to today, people like myself study those guys and obviously still Plato, Marcus Aurelius and I've here now talking to you about Marcus Aurelius we're using the passages that Marcus Aurelius brought to us we're using his wisdom to improve our lives now I don't think there's anything more spiritual than that that is a soul living up and that is pretty damn amazing and you know of course we can't all be Marcus Aurelius right but Whereas for me, I, you know, I want to do things that help the world and, you know, create a legacy and allow my soul to live on through my work. Many of you can do the same as well. Or it may just be for many of you that your soul legacy lives on through your children, right? And through what you give them. So when you think of it in that way, I think it's worth us all remembering that our soul can live on. What kind of soul do we want to leave behind? What kind of soul do you want to leave behind to live on through your children and their children? What do you want them to be talking about, thinking about? What do you want them to have learned from you? What do you want those who follow your work to talk about and to have learned from you? If your soul is going to live on in that way, make sure it's a good one. Guys, hope you've enjoyed the episode. I will see you next time.